Hello and welcome to Peach Potty, Georgia politics podcast. My name is Kyle Hayes and shortly I'm going to be joined by Luke Boggs, our usual co-host. On this week's show, you're going to hear a discussion that we had with Patrick Husbands about the Atlanta mayoral race. Um, Just a heads up, that race is going to be tomorrow by the time you're hearing this. We're going to drop this episode on Monday. Election day is Tuesday, December 5th between Keisha Lance Bottoms and Mary Norwood. So get out there, get out and vote and make your voice heard. Um, As you'll probably guess as you listen to this, we recorded this episode about a couple of weeks ago. It was just before Kathy Willard, one of the candidates in the first round of the mayor's race, held a forum where she asked the remaining two candidates, Lance Bottoms and Norwood, questions about their candidacy um, in an attempt to earn Mary, in an attempt to earn Kathy Woolard's endorsement. Uh, Woolard ultimately endorsed Norwood, um, and Norwood also got the endorsement of Shirley Franklin, former mayor of Atlanta. Um, so she racked up some of the the more notable endorsements uh, from the city of Atlanta, the Atlanta area, um, as we head to the final stage of the stages of this contest. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to our conversation. You're going to hear me, Luke, and Patrick Husbands. So here we are. All right. So for our next segment, we're going to be joined by Patrick Husbands. He's the executive vice president of the Young Democrats of Atlanta. I mean, he's going to join us today to talk about the mayor's race. Uh, so Patrick, thank you so much for joining the show. Great to be on, Gus. Um, So Atlanta voters have one more decision to make about who will be the leader of the city for the next four years. Current Mayor Kasim Reed is term limited, and he's going to be replaced by one of two women currently serving on the city council. That's either going to be Keisha Lance Bottoms or Mary Norwood. Uh, We're taping this after the first round, uh, the first round contest between these two and about 10 other candidates. I mean, that race, Lance Bottoms are in 27 percent of the vote, while Norwood came in second with 21 percent. And Kathy Willard, she just missed the runoff, earning 17 percent of the vote. Um, When you take a look at this race, Lance Bottoms got more support from downtown and sort of the southern and western parts of the city, while Mary Norwood earned most of her support from like the Buckhead area, the northern and more white parts of Atlanta. Um, So that's where we are now headed for a runoff between Lance Bottoms and Mary Norwood. Patrick, let's just start with kind of your first take on this race. What do you think is like the most important thing to look for if you're somebody who hasn't paid much attention so far? Well, the biggest thing to look for is, uh, so the matchup between these two candidates is kind of the matchup between the older Atlanta political division, which is North and South. And the people that were kind of left out of that equation are the East Side folks, the Kathy Woolard voters, the Peter Amon voters, a lot of the Kwanzaa Hall voters. Uh, A lot of these folks were more interested in somebody with a, you know, a clear vision on transportation, on, on housing affordability. And a lot of folks don't feel like we're getting that from the other two candidates. So what we ended up with is largely, uh, I think the biggest swing block will be the Kathy Woolard support areas. So uh, east side, DeKalb, Atlanta, parts of Midtown. Uh, A lot of it is mostly just, uh, you know, white progressive pockets. And uh, some will vote for Keisha because she's a Democrat. Some will say, I don't care about party lines. I want somebody away from the Kasim Reed administration, somebody away from any kind of airport contract issues. So that's really kind of where this is setting up. Luke, what is your take on this? I know you're probably taking kind of a first look as it relates to law school and things like that. If for somebody who does not live in Atlanta, you know, what are you looking at from the outside as it relates to this race? 
Well, you know, again, I always emphasize that I do not live in Atlanta, and that's part of the reason that Patrick probably got mad at me, because I have no idea what's going on in Atlanta, and I pretend like I do. Um, but I think what I was the most surprised about, and might have been the comment that got Patrick the angriest, was the fact that I was like, what the heck, Atlanta? Like, why is it staying in these, like, older divisions, and, like, the progressive movement really didn't show itself in Atlanta in the way that we did in other cities. And so I, that's sort of been my principal question. So more than any in-depth analysis, I have, I have questions. Fair so enough. That, uh, that's my big one. Uh, to be fair, I wasn't really, um, there was just like nuance I, I, you know, wanted to put in also, but, uh, as far as that, yeah. Um, the liberal conservative divide, I don't think is really there. Uh, it's much more party, uh, and frankly, race than it is liberal, progressive, conservative. So uh, it's it's kind of a, a, a unique race and certainly different than a lot of the races we've seen around the country in 2017. So, Patrick, what's your take on the role that race will play in this? I know that there were robocalls that went around earlier in this race where um, they were saying to support Keisha Lance Bottoms and keep Atlanta black. Lance Bottoms decried these ads as being racist and said that, you know, her campaign had nothing to do with those, you know, but Mary Norwood gets a lot of her support from the wider neighborhoods in Atlanta, and she could be the first white mayor Atlanta's had in quite a long time. So what, what do you think about race and how that's going to impact this contest? Atlanta became a majority black city sometime around 1970, and that's when Maynard Jackson beat Sam Massell. Uh, he was the last white mayor. Uh, obviously, the city's undergone a big shift back from those days. Uh, a lot of transplants from the Northeast, from California. Uh, a lot of folks returning from the suburbs, especially, you know, uh, progressive children of suburbanites. But unfortunately, it's going to play a larger role than than we'd like. Keish Lance Bottoms seems to be consolidating a good portion of the black vote, at least probably three quarters. She largely cleared the field against Caesar Mitchell and, other, and even Vincent Fort you know, in the southwest parts and the south parts of Atlanta. Mary Norwood's base, I mean, they voted, Buckhead voted for her 90 to 10 over Kasim in a lot of those precincts back in 09. So uh, I don't think the divide will be as big as 09, which was really stark and it was completely along racial lines. You're going to see some uh, some folks that identify with the Republican Party that are convinced Mary's a Republican, and there's, you know, evidence to that. Uh, and they're they're going to vote for Keisha because she probably shares more of their values. But the divide, the racial divide, will be there somewhat. You also noted that this was about party too, and I'm curious as kind of an outsider on this question: what is with this argument that Mary Norwood is a Republican? You know, more to the point, in what ways does it matter? From the outside, her policy description seems similar to those of Lance Bottoms. I I felt like for a lot of people in this race, you heard a lot of the same things. We, so yeah, what does it matter if she's a Republican or or not? Well, we'll see if it matters to voters. Um, the evidence about it is she attended the 96th Republican Convention. Uh, she was also nominated by the Fulton County Republican Party to be on the Board of Elections uh, in the county. So she's done, for her primary votes, it's been really strategic-seeming, like somebody that wants to run for mayor or is an Atlanta politician that would be a Republican. Like, she'll vote in the nonpartisan primary where all you get to vote on is judges and, you know, not in any party primary. Uh, so that's peculiar. But I think to a lot of voters, it's going to be more about, you know, more about the issues they care about in the city. One thing we'll find out a lot about 
about their issues and, and about where people will fall is the Kathy Woolard event coming up on the 28th. Uh, she's hosting a forum, presumably with the reward of her endorsement at the end of it, if, they, if all goes well for that candidate. So we'll see what happens. The thing that stood out to me looking into this race is really the story, the storyline around City Hall right now, the storyline around these candidates and and what it means for this race is this federal corruption probe that's been going on um, that started to look into City Hall um, and the mayor's office specifically. Earlier this year, the city's top procurement officer pled guilty to taking bribes in exchange for insider information about current and future bids on city contracts. This is a probe that's ongoing. Kasim Reed has only been able to give the assurance that it won't ultimately lead to him, uh, but he didn't really seem willing to vouch for for anyone else in his administration. Um, so could you just talk a little bit about like, what's the impact of this probe on this race? And how should it shape the decision people have to make about who the next mayor is going to be? So a couple of the companies that got raided, Pratt Group was the most well known, the FBI raided them, I think, in September. And they had doled out, I think, some $27,000 worth of donations to Keisha Lance Bottoms based on the, from their employees' uh, ownership of the company. They get a lot of contracts. Uh, there's always, you know, campaign donations are always, a, you know, some sort of legal bribery. You know, you expect to get something out of it, especially if you're a business, but there's no evidence, that, you know, that, that they have anything on any candidate. But it's certainly something that Mary Norwood has been attacking Keisha Lance Bottoms on. It's something Keisha Lance Bottoms was attacked on before the runoff or before the uh, the election in November. So I think that, yeah, it's it's her side of the argument. It played out in a lot of the city council races too. It didn't play out to great effect. A lot of the people that got money from Pride Group vendors and employees were reelected despite uh, their opponents, you know, bringing that out. So Yeah, I mean, well, what, why do you think that is? Because that was sort of like, what I got the most frustrated with and most confused about on election night because, you know, throughout the country there was a whole lot of cities that kicked out a whole lot of people like that around the country, but for whatever reason Atlanta didn't. And so I guess that's what I've been trying to get at and why I wanted you on the show to begin with is, like, explain this to me. Why why is this happening? The only thing I can say, um, well, it's it's the power of, of the read machine. It's the power of the quote nod squad that would go along with the mayor on a lot of votes. So yeah. you can find out who's, who's in the nod squad by looking at that uh, transportation committee or the, they formed a pack for the transportation bill in 2016, the, the penny sales. Yeah. You're, you're going to have to, you're going to have to yeah, go yeah, way yeah. back here. Cause like, I don't know the nod squad. Okay. I've not heard any of this. And I imagine a lot of people who don't live in Atlanta don't know this. Yeah. There are regularly reliable votes for, for mayor Reed on city council. They they tended to be, um, Keisha was one. C.T. Martin in the 10th District was one. Natalie Archibong, Joyce Shepard, uh, Cleta Winslow. Right now they're lining up behind Alex Wan for city council president because Felicia Moore was a thorn in Mayor Reed's side his, her entire, or his entire administration. So the Nod Squad is just that group of votes that, that were reliable for Kasim Reed. And a lot of them won re-election. A lot of them faced stiff challengers, but, you know, got through anyway. And... Uh, there's a power of incumbency in Atlanta, but the change wave didn't really happen. Yeah. Uh, the mayor's race, you understand why, because all the pro- you know progressive 
change candidates. Were, there were so many of them. And that happens in Athens all the time. So I'm very familiar with the fact that you get, you know, Athens is a, a city where you'll get one very strong conservative challenger and then, like, 13 great progressives to choose from. And, you know, it, it all comes out in the wash a, a way that we're not very happy with. Um, right. But with a lot of those city council races, it was a lot of one-on-ones. And, you know, the thing that I thought was the most interesting, at least, you know, from my little perch here in Athens, all I could see was District 4 and Jason Dozier being the only one to keep it competitive and also, notably, I thought, uh, had his opponent below 50% in a race of, what, 10 candidates total? Something like that? Uh, There's a lot. It varied a lot. There were people that dropped out. Yeah, so there's a lot in that city council four race but yeah basically everyone else it seemed like did anyone get knocked off did any of the atlanta city council members lose God, nobody really did no a lot of them weren't running for re-election oh, okay so there are, there are 15 overall seats three of them are at large seats andre dickens wasn't even challenged he's he's people like him uh, matt westmoreland won easily for the mary norwood seat michael julian bond held on despite a lot of ethics problems uh he's always mentioned with the nod squad uh but he beat courtney english by a few hundred votes yeah the rest of them held on and uh some of the open seats kind of did what we expected them to do also uh there's still a runoff in the ninth that's for felicia moore's council district that's dustin hillis against kwame abernathy uh that'll be interesting they both received about 44 percent jason and a collection of others held cleta below 50 that's the first time that's happened since she won her first race. So we'll see if he can consolidate the anti cleta vote. Uh, I should mention, I, I volunteered a lot with Jason's campaign, and uh, I really hope he's able to do that, and I'll, I'll be working towards that effort in the coming weekends. One of the things that was kind of hard to parse out about this race as I was looking into it is what some of the actual pressing policy issues are for people in Atlanta. I mean, I know it's a big city, so there's a lot of always a lot of concern about crime and, you know, urban issues around housing and and how affordable it is to live in the city. But what are some of the like more specific things that people in Atlanta are really concerned about right now? So affordable housing was probably the one you heard the most about this year in Atlanta. There's a lot of urbanists in Atlanta uh, that they were pretty prominent in this, in this election from Thread ATL to you know, Ryan Gravel and different, uh, different urbanists who believe in, you know, Parking density bonuses where there's just one lot per unit, different things like that, about densifying around transit lines or about densifying around future transit lines. Um, transit, of course, is going to be an issue in Atlanta. There are regional things we can do. There, you know, The city's got a lot of money to work with after that penny sales tax last year. So Peter Raymond's whole thing in the campaign was, who do you trust to spend $3.2 billion worth of transit expansion money? And then crime was an issue in a lot of places. Uh, there's bad 911 response rates. A lot of you know the blocking and tackling that cities do. Uh, those were those were definitely important, especially in certain neighborhoods. For instance, in Riverside, parts of Northwest Atlanta, they're they're you know there's zone they're in zone two, and the place where the cops you know have shift change is half an hour, 45 minutes away in traffic sometimes. So like 911 response rates are bad, public safety concerns, and obviously corruption. We're not sure how important that was in city council races. It certainly didn't play out the way I thought it would. But but yeah, those are all issues. Well, the two candidates that weren't 
that were probably furthest away from addressing those, though I felt were the ones that got through. Yeah, I was going to say, because that's a, a criticism that I've heard too, is is there anything that either Lance Bottoms or Norwood is put on the, or putting on the table right now that's you know could really solve some of these problems, you think? Not really specifics. Um, again, I really look forward to that Kathy Willard event, uh, that forum, because she's going to push them on all these things, but... Uh, no, not really. They're Mary's trying. It just seems like it's turning into Republican versus Democrat, or you know, typical things like that. It's it's not even on the issues right now. Yeah, I mean that's very clearly what I've been seeing happening. I mean, you know, DPGs pushed that pretty hard in the first round of voting. How you know Mary Norwood is a Republican, and we're very much against that, and so that that's kind of typical from what I would expect in here. Just, I, I guess what I just keep coming back to you and what I'm so just trying to understand, like Atlanta seems like a political bubble where it has its own rules and the things that are happening around the rest of the country doesn't really seem to be affecting it. And it's just kind of like doing its own thing. Because it doesn't seem, at least to me, a lot of the messaging that I've seen around like Mary Norwood being a Republican or Mary Norwood supporting Trump just kind of like fell flat, like in a, in a real way. Like, is that what it, feels like inside Atlanta as well, or is that just like my perspective? Because one of the things that Kyle and I and a lot of other people I've talked to have been really upset about is like there's really like very little coverage of what's happening in this election and happening in Atlanta in general. And so uh, it's kind of been hard to get a real coherent feeling of what's going on in the way that I kind of felt like I knew what was going on in Virginia or kind of knew what was going, what's going on now with like Roy Moore in Alabama, you know? Yeah. Uh, one big issue here is that uh, a lot of people that are, there are not many people in the city are that plugged into city elections and city or city policy. A lot of people are newly plugged into politics for, for real for the first time because of Trump. Yeah. It seems like maybe part of it's the voters being partisan and not being up on the issues. But also, among friends of ours, um, you go online, most of them are, are supporting the party line candidate. But then I know like progressive people within the neighborhoods. They're involved in the neighborhood planning units. And some of them, even if they're progressive, Dems are supporting Mary. So uh, some are supporting Keisha. So it varies. But I, I think you know, the biggest problem is, is lack, of, lack of interest in city policy and understanding what a city can do, what kind of progressive things a city can push forward. So on that note, do you think that the two candidates have not been challenged like appropriately? Like that's part of the problem, or like, so like is the problem that like they're not being challenged by the electorate or the media, and so in that case, it's they're not really being held accountable, and they're kind of just like zombieing through their campaigns. Or is it that they're actually being quite clear about what they believe and what they want to do as candidates, and then if mayor, if they won, just no one's listening. So like, which side is it, or is it a bit of both? Because sometimes it can be that. Well, there were a lot of candidates in the race. Yeah. Um, in a lot of cases, you know, those two managed to consolidate a lot of a lot of their own bases, Keisha and Southwest. And there's, you know, an old business class in Southwest Atlanta, and, you know, the old Maynard machine, and some remnants are still there. But they, they really just went to their bases without um, going on policy to expand their message earlier. Uh, there were so many candidates that a lot of voters weren't even tuned in. I'm sure some folks sat out the first part just saying, okay, I'll vote in the runoff, but I don't know enough because there's all these candidates and, you know, it's too much for me to comprehend. 
Yeah, I think the thing that I noticed, even once I got narrowed down to two, I watched the debate, the first debate that they had at the Atlanta Press Club. The fact that the corruption issue and the ongoing federal probe has taken over so much of the narrative in this race, it's clear that both candidates, at least in that debate, felt like their way, their path to victory was convincing the other person, convincing the audience that the other person was more corrupt than them. And there was all this back and forth over a company, Kathy Wooler, or that Mary Norwood had um, some sort of dial. Uh, phone service dialing service that the city used that it was owned by Mary, Mary Norwood, but then the city used that company for business. And I don't know, there was just all this back and forth about donations and who's taken what. And, and it was, it was a little hard to follow because it's, you know, I'm not on the ground with, you know, understanding all of what's going on locally, but I could imagine that if you're not paying a lot of attention and you're kind of just tuning in to see, okay, how is this going to impact me and my life? And then you have all this sort of like insider baseball back and forth over whose company paid for what or who was paid for what and who's releasing their tax returns. It's like, I don't know. I, about halfway through the debate I watched, I was just like, Oh, this is not, not the way that I, you know, enjoy campaigns being run. I think we all do that. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, the most memorable takeaway from that debate to most people, the thing that was shared most on social media, was Mary saying, oh, I don't know if you know this, but I own a lot of radio stations, and some of them were rhythm and blues, and I know black people. And then Keisha's was like, uh, I like to cook with sugar and butter, and, you know, it was. it's not, it's not policy stuff, it's not... But th- that was the big takeaway. That was like the thing shared most. That was the thing people were talking about the most. And that's not that's not good for, for mayoral runoff debate. Is there how pressing are these like policy issues to just sort of average Atlantans? Is there this sense that like, oh, Atlanta government's corrupt, they're not gonna do anything to fix these things anyway, so why should we worry about government fixing it? Or or are the candidates ignoring a need where where people really want solutions and discussion on these things? Maybe too much noise uh, from for some of the stuff to get through. If you were to ask people if, if they care about affordable housing, they'd say, oh, yes. Is housing too expensive? Yes. Is traffic bad? Yes. How do you feel about the ethics situation? Most people would say that that bothers me. I think I think most people on the ground don't really see that. Don't see those questions getting answered very well. Are they happy with anything Kasim Reed did? Can they sure are, can they point to things that are are better for having had Mayor Reed in the city for the last eight years? Yeah, I think the number one thing is uh, clearing up the city's finances. Uh, The rainy day fund was, you know, at a very measly number. Now it's in the hundreds of millions of dollars. The thing is, it kind of felt like the Reed administration was a buildup for a candidate with a big vision uh, to spend that money to, you know, push our city beyond just shoring up finances. Thing is, I don't think we're going to end up with a candidate that's, you know, going to show a vision unless something changes here in the debate in the last uh, few weeks. But yeah, Kasim did great things. Uh, you mostly hear him get criticism for stadium deals, for you know not putting in things that could have slowed down gentrification, not doing things that could have densified the area. He gets, uh, the streetcar gets called a boondoggle, and it doesn't really go to anything. It's just a loop. Uh, it's mostly tourist areas. It doesn't really connect to where people live or, you know, uh, where people work. So, yeah, uh, he's got, I mean, to most voters, I think it's a mixed bag, but we appreciate the city's finances being shored up. Let's elect somebody that wants to 
uh, improve our city with that money. As it relates to, you know, the fact that maybe neither of these candidates are going to have a really impressive vision for the city. There's been in a lot of other sort of smaller local, local and state elections, there's been plenty of like democratic socialist candidates that's been able, that have been able to find success. And part of the message that they are often bringing that I hear about from people who are supporters of them is that, you know, part of the problem with like democratic politics has been, we've gotten too caught up in the details and we're not selling this sort of admirable vision, something to hope and, and strive for. Um, and that some of these candidates are, are ditching the details and, in painting a really vivid picture of the future that they want and saying, you know, if we want to improve the world that we live in, we need to, you know, fight for a vision that we care about. That doesn't seem to be a message that carried, you know, with people like Vincent Fort, who has spent a lot of time in democratic socialist circles and in the further left portion of the democratic party, he didn't find a lot of success. So I'm just curious, is that just a, you know, a part of city of Atlanta's politics where those big dreamers are not as appreciated or, you know, why, why did candidates like Fort kind of fall short? I think that he presented more of a, a platform for a governor or, you know, or a legislator like he has been. You didn't hear him talking about the AMI, the area median income, which is a gauge for affordable housing. He wasn't talking, he was talking about in, in bolder strokes that being said, uh, a Democratic Socialist won a tight state house race in Virginia as part of that wave. Uh, he got basically the same percentage compared to Hillary as you know non-Democratic Socialist Democrats. Yeah, uh, I, it might not matter at this point in time which party you're in, as long as uh, you're a Democrat and show that you're mildly competent and are able to get your message out. But um, yeah, it, these two candidates have kind of always been this way. I mean, Mary Norman's been around forever. Um, her thing is retail politics. Uh, I show up and, you know, listen to you. Keisha's is kind of on a continuation of Kasim Reed, but also I'm a Democrat, so therefore this is an 80% Democratic city. I share your values. You should support me. Uh, neither one of those is a vision based around policy platforms. So, I mean, to be said, because, again, I don't live in Atlanta. So, like, Mary Norwood has actually kind of, like, done the blocking and tackling of politics in a real way. And that has been a reason why people support her. Because, I mean, again, from not being from Atlanta, like, I have yeah. no conception, like, how Mary Norwood is doing it well at all. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't understand how she got to the runoff. Like, I'm completely, like, it needs to be explained to me because, again, in the political moment that we've been in, like, when I saw a clip of her, like, waffling on if she supported Trump or not, and that didn't, like, tank her in Atlanta, I'm confused. So, like, I have to hear some arguments, you know, obviously not endorsing her, but there's, like, right. sell me on why some people like her. Because sure. I don't under, cause I don't understand. And then the same thing for, you know, Bottoms as well would be very useful. Yeah, a lot of people that are really engaged in their community that are a part of a, you know, let's say you're part of the West End Beautification Commission, and I'm making up a, an organization You've seen Mary on a Saturday come help with a service project. Uh, you've she showed up at your NPU meeting or your your neighborhood organization. So she's done the the outreach, the going to neighborhoods and meeting with people uh, for twenty some odd years. She's been she was on council before. Uh, then she ran for mayor in '09. 
she was winning, you know, 20% in some of the Southwest Atlanta precincts against Kasim Reed. The reason, now th- remember, she only got 25% of the vote, 24% in this round. Um, mm-hmm. y- you can get that almost entirely from her base in Buckhead. Right. Those folks turn out. And Peter Amon was getting a good bit of the vote in some places, but um, she clearly, they knew her. They didn't know Peter as well. And, you know, she came in with a big base. Uh, the question is whether or not she can expand upon that in the era of Trump. And, yeah, she did waffle. She waffled on uh, whether or not Atlanta has issues with uh, with um, police uh, like pre- police brutality and, and targeting uh, targeting African-Americans disproportionately. And she didn't answer that very well. And so she's going to continue to get pushed on it, and that's, you know, those are her weak spots. Right. And what about, yeah, Bottoms? Like, why why are people supporting her? Why do you think she may get into the runoff? She made it into the runoff because she the mayor's support went a long way. She's she's a compelling person. She's a good speaker. She handles her... I don't, I don't mean to get into, like, punditry, but, like, yeah. she handles herself well in debates. But it wasn't based mostly on a, a vision. Um, much like Mary's press the flesh retail politics wasn't based on a vision. It was based on, I'm, I'm going to be there. Um, Keisha's is kind of more like, you know, Kasim's been a fairly steady hand. We've shored up our finances. The city, the city's growing. It's not necessarily smart growth, but it's, it's growing. We're continuing to attract economic activity. And, uh, you know, that's a compelling argument to a good portion of the city. So, I mean, it sounds like she was running kind of on, like, an incumbency message and trying to take the I'm the most Kasim Reed, non-Kasim Reed person here. Yes, yes. Okay. And the mayor's yeah. the mayor's backing her wholeheartedly. And was that happening the whole time? Because, again, at least from my perspective, Kasim Reed kind of threw his weight behind her somewhat late in the game because sort of my impression of the race was this is kind of chaotic because I would like watch the race and it's like Mary Norwood's up and then, you know, Keisha Bottoms is up and Mm -hmm. then, you know, someone else was up and it just like constantly was like, it was basically like Mary Norwood was like number two and then some other person was fighting for another spot basically is what it felt like. Yeah. Um, he wasn't, he didn't endorse her officially until I think a month ago or a month and a half ago, but no, he was, he was unofficially supporting her for a long, long time. Okay. Uh, the thing he did early on, though, his strategy was to basically disqualify a lot of different candidates. Uh, in, in I, I thoroughly race. remember him going after Vincent Fort very aggressively, and he went all right. He went after him verbally, but he also took away a lot of his campaign issues. Yeah. So Vincent, a year and a half ago, was talking about uh, marijuana decriminalization, uh, getting rid of Park Atlanta, which was the the outside company that is always booting your cars and giving you tickets. They they probably didn't pull so well in the city. He got rid of both of those, and it was like defanging Vincent as, as best he could all the way through. But then he went after Caesar Mitchell on ethics fines for, uh, you know, he's had different issues with campaign fi- uh, finance filing, and he's had, had to pay a series of fines. Those two go back to the 09 race when Kas- when Caesar Mitchell was going to run against Kasim, and then ended up not, and just dropped down to the city council president. But, yeah, uh, he just... he. Went after a lot of Peter Amon. He went after. He went after Kathy Woolard. Uh, I don't know how much that stuck, but unofficially, they're like, "Who's he not?" You know, making an argument against it was. It was you know, right. it was Keisha Lance Bottoms. So it was always it was always understood who he was supporting. One of the things that I 
think about when I think about Mayor Reed as his uh, dynamic duo with Republican Governor Nathan Deal. We're going to have a new governor in January of 2019, so it's you know probably difficult to predict what that relationship is going to be like between the next mayor and and a new governor. But have we learned anything about how either of these candidates view their relationship with the governor and and what role Atlanta plays as a global city and not not just a city? Well, we all know the city too busy to hate theme, and then the uh, there's an old state or an old phrase that the Atlanta way which is the cooperation between black and white leaders in the city to foster pro-business. I'm glad it's not the sports definition. (laughs) Yeah. In their definition, it means it means let's try and bring companies here. We're going to show like we're having a kumbaya moment all the time. And part of that means working with the governor and Kasim famously worked very well with Nathan deal. They worked on bring headquarters here. They went on, trips to Europe to try and talk companies into coming to Georgia or Atlanta. Uh, I think uh, Keisha certainly gets that. Mary has a good uh, relationship with several Republicans statewide. Jeff Mullis hosted a fundraiser for her. She's gotten donations from Deb Silcox and Beth Beskin, both members of the Georgia State House Republican Caucus. So uh, I think either one would work really well with the governor. I I, I think any any person who would have made it except maybe Vincent Fort would have had a really good working relationship with whoever the governor will be. Is that good for Atlanta or is there a reason that Atlanta should be more confrontational with the capital sometimes? Um, Kasim's actually taking some steps now. I'm sure you guys saw the, the name changes for Confederate Avenue and a few other roads in Atlanta. Uh, they want to get rid of anything tied with Nathan Bedford Forrest. So if Forrest has two R's, you know, uh, that's probably from Nathan Bedford Forrest, uh, Robert E. Lee, and uh, I forget who else, John Gordon, John B. Gordon. So they're going to try and get rid of the, or get change some, change some of those names. Some people are saying that the city might face a lawsuit because this might violate the old flag compromise that Barnes made with the conservative Democrats back in uh, 01 or 02. But that's not really about economic development. Well, it is about economic development on Kasim's side. But the Republican objection about it would not be to that. But uh, as far as, as, I mean, sanctuary cities is something else you might see. You'll note, like, Casey Cagle went after Decatur, not Atlanta. Decatur's an easy target. Not a lot of people live there, but it's a liberal bastion. Atlanta's got the same sanctuary policies as Decatur, so do many other cities. But... But as far as the economic development stuff about attacking the governor openly, if it's Keisha, or if it was Mary and a Democrat, I'm sure she wouldn't attack because that would be politically damaging to her. But if it was Keisha and and a Republican governor, it probably wouldn't hurt her politically to attack. But the Atlanta way thing goes way back, and I don't see an ending with her. But with that, I think we're going to leave this conversation here this week. Um, So you will hear from Luke and I. Again, coming up soon, we're already excited about the upcoming legislative session and, of course, the governor's race and other statewide and local races that are going to happen throughout 2018. Um, So we're excited to discuss those, and we will talk about those coming up soon. Uh, Until then, we will talk to you next week. Take care, y'all. That's our show for the week. If you like what you heard, share the show with a friend and go over to iTunes and give us a rating or a review. It really helps other people find our show. We'll be back with another episode of Peach Pod next week. 
Until then, take care, y'all.